Hello everybody, it's Colin Ellis here. Welcome to another Culture and Coffee po- another Culture and Coffee podcast. I was saying to um, uh, someone in one of the organisations that I'm working with at the minute, they were like, oh, what did you do during the pandemic? And we were talking about movies and TV. I was like, oh yeah, I started a weekly podcast. He's like, and is it still going? I'm like, it is still going, believe it or not, it is still going. Um, yes. Good morning, it's Monday the 20, this is the Monday the 25th of April 2022. Lots going on in the world, lots of culture stuff going on in the world. I didn't, I, I, kind of on the walk here, I'll tell you a little bit where I am. I had all these things going in my head, I'm like, what, what can I talk about? This morning I had about four different things, um, so I'll try and cram some of those in, but there's one thing that I mainly want to talk about, which is obviously the subject. Um, in the, the subject line, which is about how you're dealing with uh, poor behaviours. Uh, but I'm in Intelligentsia Coffee in Venice, in Los Angeles. Beautiful start today, 7.45am. Uh, Intelligentsia have uh, been around since 1995. They started in, in Chicago. And what I love about uh, Intelligentsia and brands like this, which exist kind of all over the world, but especially uh, in the US and definitely in Australia and New Zealand where you get way more of it, hence why I started the, the podcast, is not only are they part of the culture and they're part of the culture of the, the actual place within which they exist, but they also got their own cultures as well. So uh, Intelligentsia started in Chicago in 1995. Now they have coffee bars, training labs and, and, and roasteries in, in five cities in Austin, Austin, Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York. And sometimes with these with these places, there's a vibe to them. There's a real vibe, and you guys know what I mean. As you kind of walk in, and maybe if you're of a certain age as well, or um, maybe this isn't your thing. It could feel quite hipster. It could feel it could feel quite alienating. I think at times. Um, I think I do think. And I, I was talking about this earlier this week. Uh, uh, sorry, I was talking about this last week. Is that um, they have a, They can become almost cult-like, where you can only come here if you're one of these people. Do you know what I mean? Some some bars are like that as well. And it's like if you're one of these people, we accept you. If you're not, then we don't. Anyway, Intelligentsia is definitely not one of those uh, places. Uh, and they, you know, they're very forward about their own culture as well. Their purpose is to make extraordinary coffee an agent of change, which I love. It's nice and short and, you know, it's kind of directly in line with what they do and the impact they can have on the world. And they, they have four values. Values are delivering quality, always innovating, celebrating coffee and fermenting change. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. I'm, I'm actually drinking an, uh, an Ethiopian chelchele. Ethiopian chelchele. I'm just going to have a sip of now. Mm. It's really, really nice, kind of chocolatey in flavour, I would say. And it smells. Yeah, it's quite, quite sweet. Uh, quite sweet in the way it smells. It's like a, like a dark chocolate in, in taste. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm sat right, by, I'm sat right by the grinder. So if the food starts grinding beans, I'm just going to pause. Um, all manner of people in here uh, working away. It's a real bright, airy space, almost kind of like warehouse-like, and they've put some holes in the ceiling. Free Wi-Fi, so of course there are loads of people here leeching on it. I'm not. I'm just using my, uh, just my basic plan. Loads of people leeching on the Wi-Fi. Um, 
Uh, what am I going to talk about today? I'm, well, I'm going to talk about how you're dealing with underperformers, but before then, there's a couple of other stories uh, in the US last week. Well, one of, one of them was a personal experience, and then one of them was an actual story. So let me tell you about the story first. There's a story uh, in the news here that, that Starbucks is, is introducing um, faster, faster ordering. Now, if you've ever been to a Starbucks, man, it's super complicated anyway. Uh, in the way that people ask for all the fancy kind of schmancy uh, coffees. Um, but they're introducing kind of fast ordering if you've been into a McDonald's, not that I have. They have these big screens where you can kind of select your things. Essentially, it's to cut down on the interaction with humans. Now, now they'll say, and they did say, uh, it's to provide a signal of those um, they'll say that oh, it's to cut down on the human-to-human interaction because it's safer. But we know it's about saving money. It's totally about saving money. Anyway, there's been a backlash because people don't want to spend hours, well, not hours, but minutes tapping in front of the screen when they can tell another human who can write it on their plastic cup, and if anyone from Starbucks is listening, you really need to sort that out, by the way, um, who writes it on the paper cup uh, and, and it gets in the queue straight away. They don't want to spend it. It's just tapping on, on a massive screen. So in, I thought that was interesting. Well, I thought it was interesting in the way that, you know, and I've talked in the past about, uh, about technology and how it should make our lives easier. But here's, here's where in technology has been introduced. And it's actually take, not only is it taken away from the customer experience, it's adding complexity to what was a relatively simple process. I go up to the counter. I tell the, the, the barista what I would like, they write it down, and then they make it simple. Really, really simple and straightforward. Um, if you have to add and click it, I mean, they're the guys who know how to process that through the till, and, and essentially you're making, you're making customers employees because they're having to do all that. Process. Anyway, that was the first thing. One of my own experiences, and, and, and using that technology as an example, is we went to Disneyland couple of weeks ago, the happiest place on earth, totally is, totally is, um, but the app was so complicated, it was so complicated, like the, you used to be able to, like if you want to skip lines and stuff, that you, you can pay a premium to do that right, and you used to be able to buy a ticket that gave you access to skip the lines, and you get, I think like Universal Studio Tours, you get it, it allows you to skip the line once on every ride, right, if you, you know, if you can afford it, cool. So Disney have introduced an app during the pandemic, I guess, and it just makes it so complicated, so stressful, so difficult to understand. Also, there's also an issue. So you have to scan your app, right? So you, you scan your app and then it recognises that you've used your, your fast pass or whatever it's called, I can't remember what it's called, right? on this particular ride. And then it's disabled then for that ride going forward, which, which, is, which is fine. But we scanned it, got into a line, and then the ride broke down. Right, so the ride broke down, so the queue dispersed. So then we were like, well, we said to the guy, well, hang on a minute. So the ride's broken down, so we haven't actually used our fast pass because we were in the queue to get on, but we never actually got on. It's like, so how, how do we get that fast pass back so that we can use the game? He's like, oh, yeah, you can't. <laughs> He's like, what? He's like, you can't. I was like, so do you give me like a token, like a paper token? Is there something that you do? No. 
was like, so what do we do? He's like, oh, no, you've just lost that, I'm afraid. And like, it's highly unsatisfactory. It had been a long day and I didn't want to get it. Actually, I did want to get into it. You know, when you're just ready for something, I didn't want to get it. Because it's not this guy's fault, totally. And he was being really, really nice. Um, but yeah, another example of technology. I'm thinking, did you not test this? Do you, have you not gone through those scenarios? Did you not think about this and the way that it worked? Anyway, uh, so the lesson here is, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna use technology, make sure it enhances the user experience, uh, doesn't take it away. So let's talk about the other story. The other big story that came out of the UK last week uh, was around the Metropolitan Police. And if you haven't followed the story of the Metropolitan Police in the UK, um, there's systemic racism. There has been for years. Uh, and, and, and again, I'm just going off the facts here. It's uh, not uh, any of my own experience. I've worked with the Metropolitan Police. So it's only what I've read in, in the news media. And they've tried to change it many, many times. Many, many times. But not really. So um, I think what you get, and it's often what you get with culture, and some of you may be experiencing this right now, is people talk a good game when it comes to change in culture. And then the things that they do to actually address the issues are superficial. It's a, it's a, it's a process here, it's a reporting procedure there, but it's, they're not actually doing anything to remove the root cause of the problem. So the acting head, of the, the Metropolitan Police Force, a guy called Sir Stephen House. And he, made, he, you know, he, he came out very publicly last week and he said, I think he even said, he said there's a significant campaign, a significant campaign um, to, to kind of um, deal with the unacceptable behavior. So a significant campaign will tell you that there's lots and lots and lots and lots of problems. But what a significant campaign means is you have to get rid of lots of people. And his biggest beef right now is there isn't the process to allow him to be able to do that. There's almost protection for poorly behaving and poorly performing employees. And I've seen it. I've seen it myself. One of the biggest battles I ever had as a senior manager, and it was when I was working in government in New Zealand, was I wanted to... um, and, 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 and I understand there's this, um, an approach for dealing with uh, unacceptable behaviour, right? But I wanted to exit uh, a member of staff who wouldn't change their behaviour. And I even said this to, to the HR manager at the time. I was like, I feel like you're making it hard for us to remove these people from the organisation. And I remember that he said, he said, it's deliberately hard to make sure we're doing the right thing. And that stuck with me. I was like, does it have to be? I was like, I totally understand that we want to do things in the right way. And, and let me be clear, I didn't want to just exit this person based on an interaction I had with them in the morning. I'd gone out of my way to make sure that I set my expectations clearly. As a team, we'd created and defined the culture and we agreed that we would hold ourselves to those things. I talked about attitude, I talked about mindset. I regularly checked in with this individual. I wanted to make sure that I gave them every every opportunity available um, to, 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 to be able to change his behavior. I was, a, I was a coach, I was a mentor, all of the support, but it just didn't want to change. Kept, he was rude, he was misogynistic, he 
Uh, he was incredibly selfish. He did nothing for the team and everything for you know you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Oh my God, am I talking about you? Is it you? Of course it's not. People like that don't listen to this podcast. Um, um, and and there's there, there's more than one of those kind of people in the organisation at any one time. So Stephen House, when he was asked uh, if it was just one or two people, he said there are just there are more than just a few bad apples. More, he said that's clearly not the situation at all. Clearly, he said it's a wider issue, and we're dealing with it. And he's calling for a change in police procedures to allow managers to speedily sack officers. And I read that, and I thought, okay, yeah, cool. But what happens if the manager's the problem? The same rules have got to apply to them, because in my experience, in in my experience, right? Managers set the tone, and I talk about this in my culture workshops and in the speeches that I do. It's managers who set the tone for culture. Now, whilst they don't own it, it's their job to role model what they expect of everybody else. Sorry, I just set my coffee there. It's their job to role model it. And I have seen so many managers role modeling poor performance and poor behavior. Now, this is where HR really do need to step up to the plate. They really do. Um, I, you know, it, it, <laughs> I remember saying at an HR conference, the biggest problem with HR is yourselves. Went down like a lead balloon. Um, I did follow it up with some humour, which kind of uh, resolved the situation somewhat. But, 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 but it was, and you know, I, I know many great HR practitioners who are campaigning for for HR to 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 kind of have a little bit more teeth, uh, have a few more teeth when it comes to poor behaviour. And not just make it about rolling out policies and rolling out training, but actually, you know, having the courage of their convictions. And making sure that processes to remove people who behave poorly um, are easy to do and they're swift. And also the people that choose to walk past those behaviours are either retrained or put into positions where they're not managing people. I demoted a manager once because they weren't management material. And by management material, what I meant was that they didn't have the ability to motivate and inspire people. Now, to be fair to this particular individual, he said, he said, I'd never wanted to be a manager. He said, they put me into this position because I'd been at the organization 10 years and it was their way of rewarding me because they couldn't give me more money unless they had a new grade. I kind of felt for him a little bit. I was like, okay, so you were kind of put into a job where you didn't want to manage people. I was like, but did you have a choice? He's like, you know, he said, he said, looking back, he said, now what we're talking about it, he said, I probably did have a choice. He said, but, you know, I hadn't had a pay rise for a couple of years. He said, I felt the work that I'd done had justified it. He, don't get me wrong, he was a really good guy, but he was highly technical and that was his skill set. He just didn't want to do the management of people bit. And as a result, it kind of came out in his behaviours a little bit. He had a, he, he had an exasperated way of dealing with people, and of course that works off into everybody else. It undermines the safety and the culture, and it sends a message that you know, kind of, really he's not as engaged as he should be. And then the prevailing mindset of the culture becomes one of negativity, poor behaviour, and poor performance, and and, and it stemmed from that individual's behaviour. And so we, we kept him at the same pay, but he went back in, in, into a technology role, you know, and I talked to HR about how we avoid those kinds of situations in the future. But I do think that 
there are certain things that, that for me are immediately sackable offences, providing due process is followed and it, and it doesn't take months and months and months. One HR manager said to me once that it's a six month process to remove, to exit someone from the organisation if they're behaving or performing poorly. And I said that's absolutely appalling. Just think of the damage that individual could do. And that particular instance, by the way, um, was bullying. I make it sound like all I did was firefight. This, I, I, I think as a manager, these are the important things that you have to do. It's, like it's not an enjoyable part of the job, but it's a critically important part of the job. It's, it's to deal with this stuff, uh, but deal with it empathetically, right? And if, if, if you've got to do it for, for six months, it's utterly exhausting and a massive waste of time and money. Massive waste of time. Um, at Zappos in the US, they're a shoe retailer um, here in the US. They have this thing called the offer. And so when, you hi- when they hire someone into their business, at the end they have given this really structured induction process. Uh, and at the end of the induction process, you're offered $3,000 to leave, which I love. I totally love that. But like, listen, you've seen what we're about. You've seen what we stand for. You now understand the job you've got to do. Are you in or you're out? If you're out, here's $3,000 and you can never apply for a job here ever, ever again. And it's a way that they've got of protecting their culture. One guy challenged me on it once. He said, is it, is it, is that kind of cult-like? And I don't, I, I don't believe that it is. What it is is a recognition of, uh, if, if, if I'm a manager, if, if you don't want to work here and I'm a manager, it's going to cost me way more money to manage you out of the business or to keep inspiring you if you don't want to work here. So you're offered three grand to leave. Now, the argument then becomes, oh, well, I can't do that in my organization. We're a government organization, we can't offer $3,000. Yeah, but you've got, a, you've got a, um, a probation period. Too often what happens at the end of a probation period is just rubber stamps. Because, we, because we're doing way too much work, what we need is someone with a pulse on the ground to do it rather than being really, really kind of focused on is this individual going to add value to our organisation and do they have the behaviours and the performance levels to sustain that performance? If the answer is yes, at the end of their probation they get to stay. If the answer is no, we say thank you very much. You're not a good fit for the organisation. But throughout that three months, managers have got to work with them really, really closely to make sure that, that that is the case. And I think this is where HR can really help. They can really help with this kind of probationary period. They can help with making sure managers have got the skill set to be able to do this well. And in cases where we need to exit people from the business, that that pathway to do so is as swift as it needs to be to make sure that we deal with behaviours such that they don't continue to affect the culture. I'm not sure what the outcome will be from from the the, the Met Police to to be perfectly honest with you, I think Sir Stephen House has got a, a heck of a job there. I think what what he'll find is there are specific subcultures within the force where you're going to have to exit a large number of people. I think they'll find all manner of examples of of racist, misogynistic behaviour. Um, and, and, and I think they're going to have to exit a bunch of people, but how do you do that and still safeguard the public on a, on a day-to-day basis? So it, it's something I'll continue to watch. And, I, and you know, I, I, 
I hope he gets the support he needs in being able to change uh, the culture around because uh, it certainly needs it because it's been going on for far, uh, for far too many years. Anyway, hope you've enjoyed the Culture and Coffee podcast. Uh, wherever you are in the world, have a fabulous day and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Ta-ra for now.